Hey, it's Krista. Thanks for being here, showing up for yourself, and being curious today. On the Rewilding Humanity podcast, we explore the depths of what it means to be human and how to come back into wholeness, physically, mentally, spiritually. Virtual high five to all you truth seekers out there. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome to the Rewilding Humanity podcast, Brett. We were just chatting about how we've recently changed the name of the podcast, and it goes perfectly with what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, when I got your email, I thought, oh, Rewilding Humanity, that's a, that's something new in terms of the podcast, but I thought, how perfectly aligned is that now? <laughs> I love that you're expanding your work because it's a very poignant conversation, particularly here in Australia. We've like there's a kind of a, a underground movement, let's say, of people that are kind of in this in this work. And then of the last year, or maybe two, I think maybe spurred on from a bunch of factors, maybe COVID, people wanting to get out and connect with nature and realize what's important in life. Some of these like more TV shows like Alone um, have reached Australia out from a survival point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just a general conversation that's been brewing with a small group of people for a long time. And now suddenly it's like rewilding how important it is. So I love that you're really stepping into that and riding that wave. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's where I all of this really piqued my interest. Like I've always loved nature and I feel like I was really disconnected for a period of time. Like I grew up living in Northern British Columbia and we were always doing stuff outside and a lot of my early memories always had to do with being on my grandparents farm and you know being in the garden and that sort of thing but then there was like this vast period of time where I became very disconnected and then my 20s were like getting back into that and rekindling that love which became into a passion and now it's just like life support (laughs) for me right which I just feel is like so important for everyone to get connected back to Gaia because that's really what we are right and so I think people are starting to wake up to that and particularly during the shit show that happened over the past three years it was like whoa okay this is more important than ever and Mm -hmm. really that call for like hey sovereignty is like the most important thing you know and there was like this deep sort of feeling within me that was like you got to learn some skills, girl. So like when you talk about like bushcraft and all this, I haven't dove into it yet, but I want to learn more about it for sure. I have a girlfriend who's actually quite talented and she's been doing primitive skill stuff for quite some time. And she's incredible. She'll like hunt a deer with a bow and arrow that she made herself and butcher the entire thing, use the hide for drums or like whatever. And it's just, it's so beautiful and it's so cool and it's really sad that we've lost a lot of those skills so it's so cool that you're working on that and bringing it back Mm, thank you it's really funny what you say about the sovereignty piece too because when I first offered um my women's program based on a lot of research that I'm doing now in a more formal setting like in academia but the first program I ever ran applying um the things that I'm now kind of researching was called Sovereignty. Um, and I read this book called If Women Rose Rooted by Dr. Sharon Blackie. She's a mythologist who I'm kind of obsessed by. Um, 
she writes all about, you know, the, the wild feminine in mythology. Mm. And one of the myths that she includes in that book is about the goddess sovereignty. And the kind of um, distillation of the message really is like our power to choose is what ends up being what is what creates a wasteland or a wonderland is our capacity to choose. And um, I called the first immersion sovereignty and I've changed it since then to wild woman for a bunch of reasons. But really the emphasis of that work was a recognition that we're not all going to go away and, you know, live in a bush and just eat bush foods. Recognize that not everyone's going to go and want to live in the bush and hunt with bows and arrows, you know, weave everything they need a carry basket for. But the fact that you know that you can is a position of power. Yeah. The fact that you know that you can build a shelter, um, support yourself to eat from the land, the, the fact that you have the embodied skills to do so is a very powerful thing to experience. And it's really hard to explain that in words until you actually have the feeling of it. But when, and I say this to women who came on the program, and I still continue to say it, is the power to choose is where your sovereignty comes from. And if, say, I don't have a choice around where my power, where my food, where my water, if I'm not actually actively participating in a choice, or I don't see that I have options, then I don't, then I'm under the whim of the control of who, who provides my power, who provides my shelter. And if I don't have a choice or if I don't see that I have a choice, then that can be taken away and, and essentially power is taken away. Whereas in, if I have the capacity to say, well, we're going to take your house off you, or we're going to shut off your water. I can, the fact that I can say, cool, no worries. I have, I have options. I actually am empowered enough to know that I can support myself. Um, either way is a very, very powerful thing to be able to feel inside your body. Not mm. necessarily that you have to action it, but the fact that you know that you can, that's what sovereignty is. Is like you, you don't have to bend your own um, truth because you don't feel resource enough to be able to, 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 um, to support yourself otherwise. Absolutely. I know here in Canada, during the past few years, we had periods where the grocery store shelves were starting to get empty, right? And people are freaking out. And I'm just like, well, we could just hunt <laughs> or fish, you know? And I'm from a family that does those type of things. But like the women in our family never really participated in that. And now that's something where I'm just like, you know, we should, we should know those things, right? We shouldn't just have to like rely on men to be able to, to do that. And I love wildcrafting throughout the summer, but you know, if we needed to have some mm. sort of survival situation in the wintertime, that's what you would rely on, right? It's like meat, like you can only have so much, <laughs> you know, spruce tip tea and things like that. There's not a whole lot to forage in terms of um, you know, berries and that sort of thing during the wintertime here in Canada anyway. So yeah, it is, it would be a very powerful feeling for sure. And I think it's, yeah, important that we start to reclaim some of those skills. Yeah. I find it interesting too, that it's often crisis that kicks it in because, you know, it was, was teaching that message. It was powerful still then, but then obviously all of the stuff with COVID happened and now people were like, oh, I really want to learn 
have to support myself because we don't know what could happen in the world. You yeah. know, there's some unprecedented and unintended things that can go down. Um, and lots of people, you know, well, we shouldn't just, you know, sh- shouldn't just have to be motivated through crisis. But to be honest, I, in my experience of deep feminine work, it's our journeys into the underworld. It's the unraveling process that gives us the most powerful gift. It's like the wound reveals the gift. And so if fortunately, if it takes like some really awful stuff happening in the world or some really huge boundary crossing or, you know, climatic things going on for people to actually go, oh, I actually really want to gain some of these skills or I really want to feel more connected to my local ecology. I really want to feel more connected to my body and feel empowered in that process. Like if that's what it takes, like that potentially is the gift in the wound of all of that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, that's the underworld journey that we're being invited into, but there's an intelligence that because on the outside, on the other side, um, we become, we actually get closer. There's a beauty in that. So much like how people, when they, you know, they only really turn to deep healing medicine or plant working with plants or and things when they get cancer or when they have a massive crisis, that's the thing that leads them down the path of, of learning more about health and um, some of this ancient healing wisdom. So I think there's as much as, you know, the mind sees it as like this awful thing and like, I want to avoid that, but potentially there's wisdom in that underworld invitation because the gift on the other side is actually what's needed most for humanity, like personally and collectively. Yeah, absolutely. So I would like, because I didn't really do a proper introduction in the sense of like, hey, this is what you do. Um, So we're going to be talking about ecosomatics, right, which is a new word for me. So I'd love for you to kind of explain, explain that a little bit. And you're also pioneering a PhD in this field. So that's really cool. Um, you also have a master's of environment and somatic ecology. So that's, you know, something totally new that I'd love to introduce the audience to from your lens. And then I'd also love to find out how, how you got into this work, like why, like how you're on this journey now and how you got to be teaching the things that you're teaching people. Cool. Juicy conversation. I love talking about this stuff. So yeah, it's such a pleasure to introduce that, the work of ecosomatics and have conversations about it, particularly because um, as someone who yeah is pioneering research in this field, even just three years ago when I started my PhD, it was even more of like a crazy term that not even research or people in the academic space had really much knowledge of. And I'm doing this in Australia where I live and there's not one other academic researcher that is specified in this area. And I can probably count um, like a dozen, um, if that, people mm-hmm. that are also academics in this in the world. Um, more and more people, like I get over the last couple of years, it's a good sign for me that I get master's students sending me emails saying, I came across your, um, your paper and, you know, I really want to get into this field. And that's happened more over the last year. So it tells me that there's some interest building, but it's a very, very new field. Um, and yet it's probably one of the oldest fields in human, in humanity mm. that we're just kind of rediscovering and giving a name to. All of that. So what, yeah. what is ecosomatics? 
So ecosomatics, as I said, it's an ancient kind of human practice of the way that we engage with landscapes, the way we engage with the, the environment. But the more academic framing of it, let's say, is the merging of two very specific fields. So one of them is deep ecology. And deep ecology is a, is a field of research that understands that we are interconnected with all of life, that humans are, are a much part of a, a wider ecology. And within that ecology are animate beings that have their own sovereignty, that have their own value outside of the human mind or, or how we perceive them. There's an intelligence in that. And we are connected to that simply through being here on, on planet Earth. And so deep ecology is that field of interconnectedness. And then somatics is um, a field that recognizes the body as a source of wisdom, particularly a way of knowing, a way of understanding, and a way of kind of developing our worldviews, a way of being. Um, and so somatic ecology merges these and says, well, the way in which we best understand our interconnectedness with all of life and importantly practice that, practice our understanding of the earth as an animate being and ourselves as a part of the bigger a picture ecology is through the body, is mm -hmm. through the wisdom of the body. It's bodied practice. And my PhD specifically looks at practices like dance. And I've been working with um, an amazing community, a first people's community down in a place called Warnabool or Pikorong Mara country, um, which is the traditional name, and looking at their whale dance ceremonies that have been kind of revitalized and how those whale dance ceremonies are being used in a restorative context for both people and place because it's restoring the culture that was decimated during colonial times and also restoring the number, the population of whales that was also decimated during that time due to um, colonialists coming in and doing a lot of whaling. Mm. So, and what we're noticing um, in the research is that these, this practice of engaging with place, engage, we, we call it country in Australia, country being not like landscape, but country being a term for like the animacy of a, of a place. It's not just like a nature as a backdrop. It's when we talk about country, it's like a, it's like a, a living conscious being yeah. and they see land, this, this sees country as a living conscious being. So what we're finding is that this way of engaging with country in a very embodied way, particularly through this practice of dance is actually healing country. The whale numbers are increasing. And because humans are a part of country, just like humans are a part of the ecology, it's actually being very healing for the people as well because they're reconnecting to country through this practice of dance. They're, they're rediscovering their culture um, in, a, in ways that were lost because of colonial, you know, lots of people being killed basically. Yeah. So that's, that's what the research is looking at. That's kind of ecosomatics as a whole. And then that's my little field of research um, of how I'm looking at it with the first peoples. Mm -hmm. And then also looking at it from a framework point of view with my experience with them of how can I relate that to my own ancestry and my own practice. And I've created something called the earth framework, which pulls out these principles of like, well, what, is, what does ecosomatics look like? in a practical term, in a practical way. And that's where I've created this framework called the Earth Framework, um, which is those two things are kind of the big, the big harvest from my PhD. Yeah. 
That's so beautiful. Um, have have you been able to like understand what is actually happening when the whale dancing is facilitating the repopulation? Like what is going on there? That mm. is fascinating. Yeah. There's lots going on and it's still deep in the research at the moment because there's one aspect where, well, this is the dance that I'm doing at the moment actually, is that academia in general has a very scientific way of looking at the world that requires data and statistics and um, surveys and like grounded explanation for exactly how everything happens. Mm-hmm. And so I have one hat on I'm, when I'm engaging in that and understanding what's happening at a quantum physics um, scale, what's happening at a neurological scale, what's happening in an, in an evolutionary biology-like term. So I've got that hat on um, when I'm doing that because I think it's important to bridge that and, and be able to access um, an area of the community or a part of the population that values that way of knowing and that values that way of expl- explaining. And then there's also simply a more embodied um, way of being and seeing the world, which is an, a surrender to the mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's an acknowledgement this is happening and this is, this is occurring, but some things we can never know how. Some things are a matter of the mystery. Some things just feel right. Some things feel true. Mm-hmm. It's like um, truth not as in a matter of like fact of right or wrong. Some things just feel like this is, tr- this is like an energetic frequency of like this is truth. This is um you know, part of what it is to be human. And so the two hats have been an interesting thing to switch on and off. Yeah. And what I can say from the scientific point of view, there's aspects um, that can be in in a way measured that part of my research is not the measuring quality. It's like I'm the foundational part of the research. And then we would get other people to come in and measure sound waves and measure vibrational things that move through the sand. But in conversation, in the social research side that I've been doing, um, part of what happens is that those, the songs and the dancing, which are combined aspects of that ceremony, the stomping quality um, of people dancing on the sand, on like right next to the ocean, we know that sound travels um, through water. And like, just like a whale song travels through water. And so that vibrational frequency from them stamping, but also singing this song, singing the in, in language. So when um, we talk about country being this animate being, so, you know, in English, maybe if you trace the English language back a really long time, it had this same quality to it. But, you know, the English language in a way comes to a place and puts language on top of what's there and says, well, you're a tree. And as the human being, as the superior being to you, then I'm going to name you. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in, a, in the context of the first peoples of culture that I'm working with, and of course, I just want to acknowledge that I can only speak to a very small um, portion of this because I'm not a, a person of that country. I'm not, I don't have my ancestral lineage in that place. So I'm not speaking for them. I'm just communicating what I've been given permission to share through my research. Um, And so in that context, 
language is something that is given to them from the land. It's something that, so the, the tree being in that situation would say, like communicate in a way that doesn't says, this is, this is my name. This is the language. So the language that is spoken and sung in that place comes from place itself. So when the stomping happens in the ceremony and when the singing happens, which is singing the language of the whales, singing the language of the country, the vibrational frequency of that travels through water and reaches the whales who have incredible whales as we know have like sonic hearing <laughs> and they pick up on the frequency of their brother or, or, and sisters of their kin because again in that worldview everything is kin everything is connected and they recognize those songs and those vibrations as um as kind of markers of where they need to go on their migration patterns because how this is how the repair is happening to one aspect of like the benefit of having that vibrational frequency go out into the water is that it's helping to repair the migration pattern of the whales because whales have what's called migrational um, fidelity, which they are loyal to particular locations on their migration map. They go to the exact same places very similar to how humans once were in a semi-nomadic fashion where they know, okay, this is where we go in the summertime because there's these resources there that can support our young or support what we need. And then this is when, when we get this ecological marker, then we move to this spot. And they do that every single year. But when the whaling happened, what occurred was the keepers of the wisdom of those kind of, let's call them song lines or tracks or like migration patterns that those whales would traverse, the keepers of those knowledge were often the grandmother whales and they would pass that knowledge on to the down their generations. And when the whaling occurred, a lot of the elders, including those grandmother whales, were taken out. And so the wisdom that they, um, the wisdom and the memories of all of those places that, that were important for their migration patterns were lost. And so some of those younger whales were then like, where, where do we go? We don't actually know where to go. Mm. We don't have any marks um, and it's like a big wide ocean and no, nothing that's marking the places of where we need to track to next. And so one of the ways that we're interpreting um, why these whale, whale ceremonies are restorative is because they are helping support the whales to remember that Warnable or Pikrong Mara country is one of their spots on their migration patterns that was lost. And so by sending out a vibration, it's kind of like our, our human way of communicating, brothers, sisters, kin, come home. This is your spot. This is just one of the spots that was forgotten. And it's kind of like sending out our own whale song as if calling our brothers and sisters to support them on their migratory journey. And they know to come back there and they know that they're safe there because the Pikurong Mara are now looking after that country again. The Pikurong Mara are now looking after their kin again because they're, they're, you know, in their custodial role again, as opposed to being, you know, horribly killed off by some of the colonials or, or all the atrocities that happened. So that's one of the explanations of how these whale patterns or these whale migration patterns are being restored and then therefore leading to population increase because quite naturally without them having these spots on the map that they know to go to, um, 
some of them die off. And that's how the populations have dwindled because they haven't been able to find their natural feeding ground or they haven't been able to find the safe place for where they can have their babies. So um, there's many different ways of explaining it, but that's one of the key ones that I'm focusing on in, in my research. Um, and then I go deep into the, it's fascinating into the evolutionary biology and the neuro, neurobiology side of things. Cause when you trace it back far enough, um, humans and whales actually come from the same ancestor. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's an actual logical connection there that, um, when I'm talking to Jamie Marlow Thomas, who's kind of been my main contact in that community, we've been friends for a long time, um, when when I've talked to him in early conversations, he kept mentioning cellular memory. He's like, this is important for tapping into cellular memory and helping us connect as well as, well as the connection between whales from both sides. And I thought, yes, yeah, cellular memory, like I got the principle, but now I'm realizing, wow, if whales and humans share the same ancestor, well, then there is literally the same point in our cellular memory from an... um from a, what is it called? I can't think of the word, but from just let's say from an ancestral point of view, that we are connected in a very deeply embodied way. And mm-hmm. so um, this, in, in the way that we dance and the whale dance is very much um, emulating the way that whales dance. Um, for those who aren't watching the video, part of the whale movement is placing your hands on your chest, both hands on your chest, and kind of having the wings of your elbows out and making the whale like a, the flippers of a mm-hmm. whale. And that's part of the whale dance. And so in moving our bodies like whales, we're tapping into our cellular memory of what it was to be whales and having, this is where it gets really interesting of like from a um, quantum entanglement point of view, is that as as we move as the whales, we actually are becoming the whales or connecting into their bodies. Our bodies are, are kind of synced or like quantumly entangled and therefore communicating with each other in a way that, again, is kind of also part of the mystery. This is, this is where part of our technology reach and part of it is like we can get so far with it and then part of it is this mis- mystery, um, mis- yeah, mystery yeah. kind of quality um, yeah. that has been a really interesting thing to try and dance and communicate as a researcher. Uh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Like what's running through my head right now is like this reminds me of avatar right yeah and i'm also re-watching this show it's called have you ever watched the oa yes i was obsessed with the oa i was trying to tell everyone to watch it it's so like, good I get it i'm like and i open a portal I okay, and I'm thinking like you know like these movements and stuff that they're doing and how it opens. I'm like, oh my god! And then like you mimic the whales, and then the whales come, and oh my god, I'm freaking out right now. I love it so much. <laughs> so I was I was like having a meltdown, like an ex- exciting meltdown when I watched oh. that scene on the oh, I'm like, this is it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and no doubt whether that or you know, I truly see that a lot of the TV shows and storytelling that happens so. I'm a big fan of mythology and, and mm. storytelling. And really all modern TV shows and movies are just stories. They're storytelling. Mm. And often, as, as we see from a lot of um, old mythology, they come from it. They come kind of as a stream of consciousness. They come from somewhere. Like a lot of, of even Avatar, I think, came from 
a lot of dreaming, like in a lot of dreams. And so whether that, whether that the, um, the writer of that TV show was just, um, thought dancing was cool or whether she was picking up on this kind of this deep truth, um, mm-hmm. and this kind of stream of consciousness communicating, that's a thing. That's a real thing. We'll never know, but it was amazing to actually see it. Well, I actually looked into it a little bit, and apparently that series was created based off of accounts of, I I believe it was actual NDEs. So, Mm. yeah. So, yeah, it's I love it. Like, it's all interconnected, and it's so interesting because humans have just forgotten that we are a part of all of this right and it's so sad and so unfortunate because it's been like thousands of years of this dismantling and like ripping us apart from our true nature which has now left a lot of humanity kind of in like shambles and feeling so separate from everything when in reality it's like we just danced with everything all the time Hmm. absolutely it's interesting that Something I talk about a lot um, in my work now that is is this concept of soul, um, and it's the word I use for purpose. Something kind of interchangeable, like the expression of our soul is really our purpose. The expression of our purpose here on earth. And I think one of the plagues that is in modern consciousness at the moment is this idea that we're separate to nature. And even though we have like, oh, of course we're part of nature, the idea that um, actually putting that into practice as a as a concept is an under, is is understanding that our purpose is actually essential to the whole ecology thriving us expressing um our role let's call it is essential for the ecology thriving so just as uh, just as a worm a bee a tree is playing a specific role in that ecology that is supporting the whole thing to thrive it supports the whole thing to function um humans human beings also have a role and my research is showing that dance is part of that role but also expressing your own creative genius as a human being is a really big part of our part of our role um and without that and again what this research is showing without doing expressing ourselves in these creative ways and without doing the things that humans have done forever singing dancing doing ceremony connecting with the land we are we have removed ourselves from the ecology in the same way that now there's heaps of research and even books written of what happens when you remove an animal or a plant from an ecology like when they removed the wolves i think it was from like yosemite national park or something yeah. mm-hmm. um and or when they remove kill off um sharks in the ocean it's it disrupts the whole ecology that is dependent on that species being there playing their ecological role and what we're finding, I, I truly believe, and I think there's now thankfully research backing this up, is that the exact same thing is happening with the removal of humans from the ecology, the removal of us being in our creative expression and the removal of us um, creatively expressing ourselves through things like dance, song, um, village making, ceremony, is that the land, the whole ecology is actually dying off because we're not playing our role um, because we're not actually separate from nature. It needs us as much as we need it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So fascinating and so beautiful and so heartbreaking at the same time because it's like, 
how how do we go from this to like where we need to be, you know, to create harmony again? Like it just seems like such an impossible task. Like what what would that look like for you? Because you even said you're like, well, you know, we're never going to get back to like everybody going back on the land. But it's like it, it feels like that's what really we, we need a lot more of that in order to 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 create that harmony again. Yeah. It's a great question, a really good question. And my feeling is, is this, is that one of my favorite, again, mythologists, um, Dr. Martin Shaw, put forward this principle that when he said it, it shook me to the core. And I truly believe that it's, it rung, rung a bell of truth inside of me. And that it's, I think, collectively, we're, we're going a, a cultural underworld journey right now mm-hmm. in our world where there's there's so much chaos there's so much crumbling away and there's so many things that we're like that is not okay is that we're we're kind of traversing into this underworld territory um as as a whole as a global community with some of the things that you know with massive climate crises like or big floods or you know the propulsion of ai or wars happening and like all this stuff which is heartbreaking to it to see and experience is that rather than saying, rather than kind of rush and try to fix it and not saying that we should be, we should be tolerant of, of horrible behavior, but rather than rushing and fixing from, um, from a point of view of like band-aid solutions, um, actually allowing ourselves to go into the under, underworld journey and have real conversations about, well, what is this a symptom of, of, the, of it, like in terms of the root issue mm-hmm. and can really be with the grief and the anger and like can we really drop down into it as opposed to trying to survive and trying to keep it all together and trying to pretend like it's all okay can we really drop into it and really acknowledge where we're at Mm. and can we surrender to that world invitation that we're all being invited into in some form right now because the gift as we spoke about kind of come full circle of what we're talking about um at the beginning is the gift of that is that it is the it's the thing that there's the decomposting process let's say that creates the fertile soil for something new that creates the fertile soil for new life and when i think culturally we're needing a big rebirth like and i think um that's happening this is what this dr martin shaw said it's kind of happening whether we like it or not so we can go down kicking and screaming and trying to hold and trying to hold the seams of society together or we can acknowledge where we're at and surrender to that process and then actually be guides and mentors for the death rebirth phase if we're willing. Um, because there's going to be some that, and I, I, I personally think a big part of my work is that, is, is I got introduced to that very quickly in my life and have, have kind of stepped into that area or accepted that scenario of mastery in my, in my work of being, uh, being with that underworld invitation and trusting that process of death and rebirth because mm-hmm. um, I think it's where we're headed as a culture mm-hmm. and it's not something it's not morbid it's not something that's to be feared it's a natural part of life that we've been avoiding for a very long time like the, the you know we are cyclical beings the earth is a cyclical being and we can't have perpetual growth forever and ever and ever and ever and ever we have to surrender to what I would call the autumn and the winter phases of life. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we disrupt balance. And then when we don't surrender to the natural, let's say, feminine part of the cycle, because the masculine is the kind of growth part, when we don't surrender to the natural part of the feminine cycle, which is actually the regenerative part of the cycle, what happens is we have the dark feminine come. And she's like, well, if you're not going to actually allow the natural feminine to come, well, then I'm going to come and fuck some shit up. And I'm going to tear it. Tally. I'm going to come and tear it from you. Yeah, full Pali style. I'm going to come and tear it from you. I'm going to come smash it down if yeah. you won't give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's right now. And I hate to say it, but I think there's a necessity to it. Um, and so we can either kick and scream to it or we can surrender in our own personal lives because ultimately if we're a part of nature, then what's occurring outside of us is a reflection of what's happening internally. Mm-hmm. And so if we can in personal lives surrender to that natural process of regeneration, then we become the embodiment, we become the transmission, we hold the energetic frequency that enables culture to do that mm-hmm. and the whole. Yes, 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 yes. Everything that you just said resonates so much with me. This concept of like needing more underworld guides. I don't know. There's mm. there, there there's something there. I think that's really potent. It's something that I talk about a lot on the podcast because I'm I'm very similar, and I'm I'm curious to know about your your journey and how you got to this point. Um, but it sounds like you just mentioned that you've experienced, you've gone through the underworld many times and it's something that you know how to dance with and can hold others through that process. Um, similarly, that it's just been a big theme for me as well. And I talk about it a lot because I'm like, it's something that we need to learn to embrace, <laughs> you know, when we're always put it, you know, brushing shit under the carpet and you know like not wanting to talk about hard truths and when we are you know reaching outside of ourselves for answers all of the time and um you know basically surrendering surrendering our our sovereignty and putting our power in the hands of Mm -hmm. others things just don't go well and we're really seeing the repercussions of that you know, and, and it's tough. It's really hard, you know, but it's like, we need to kind of also toughen up a little bit, but be able to do it in a way that, you know, is as gentle uh, as possible. So I love the concept of an underworld guide. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's hot. Like it's, it's a hard slap in the face of the necessity of self-responsibility. Mm. And I feel like this is the tangent I could go off on. But one of my favorite myths that I talk about in the work that I do is, um, is a story of wild mish. Yeah. And wild mish, part of that is um, the way I've interpreted that myth, or one way of interpreting it, um, is our relationship to what I call the animus, which as a, as a woman, my, an aspect of my soul that is the kind of opposite is my animus, my internal kind of masculine. And, and in, in this context, in like the principles of, because that comes from Carl Jung's work, that um, men have the anima. Um, but the reason why I, I picked this, I really picked, um, noticed in this story is because at the very beginning, the far, like it's a story of a young, um, a young woman and the very beginning, her father dies 
and her father's the king and he kind of like, you know, as, as the king has control over the princess, which is his daughter and is kind of, you know, makes all the, like that father figure is the one that makes all the decisions, looks after you, um, you know, and you're just the daughter. You're just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. You're just a child. And the very beginning of this story, the father gets killed and the, the journey of her relationship then has to look at, you know, her own relationship with the masculine. And ultimately a big part of that harvest for the story is uh, that being a symbolic representation of stepping into our own self-responsibility um, and actually recognizing who outside of ourselves have we put into a father father figure role mm. that is like and that we are that, that we are appeasing like daddy and that could be big daddy in the sky that could be a god that apparently we have to um conform to in terms of rules so we um that dictate our lives who we can be what we can and can't do um or it can be the government who there we look to and ultimately, all of these um, all of these rules that we then abide to, in order to feel like we're, you know, worthy of love, feel like that we're going to access the things that we need to to survive, whatever, is is actually um, externalizing our power, mm-hmm. and it makes us. Um, what I want to say, it's it it takes away our sovereignty, and it is. It runs in the opposite direction to taking respons- self-responsibility for our lives yeah. because we're unwilling ultimately to be with the underworld. We're unwilling to be with the uncomfortable stuff, so we'd rather just give that responsibility. Totally, yeah. And so, you know, the underworld guide is, is as much um, about, you know, being willing to go into that work around the um around the wound and that the the challenge, not to be a morbid process, but again to be the mm. decomposting process for fertile soil. But it's also a really about using that process to take back our self responsibility and having a hard, truthful look at where we've externalized our power, where we've externalized that self responsibility because we're running away from the stuff we don't want to look at. We're running away from the uncomfortable stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, a side tangent that yeah came to me to say, oh, I love it, and you know all of that is just an illusion, you know, of safety, yeah it's it's not real, it's like i I think about this so much lately, I'm in my head entirely too much, but every day I wake up and I'm just like, we're all slaves here, you know, like we're born into this you know, society, and you have a number that is literally stamped onto your head. And, you know, it's your social insurance number, or it's like your social security number, whatever you want to call it. And it's like, you now exist to make money and to pay taxes. And I'm just like, no, like, I'm just so fucking done with it. I'm so fucking done with this paradigm that we have allowed right like i mean it's been layer by layer and slowly encroaching over time now it's becoming much more visible i feel like everything's really been kind of like the 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 blinds have Mm. been been, or like the curtains have been open uh more the past few years and people are really starting to to see this and it's becoming more and more uncomfortable and we're having to have these conversations about it but like this is what we need the process that we need to go through in order for some of these systems to start crumbling because it's just like it's enough you know, I'm just, I don't know. It's just, it's just something that 
I'm ruminating over a lot lately. Interesting that you say that because in relationship, this has actually has a huge relationship to this field of ecosomatics and why I became so fascinated with it. Because I remember reading one of the earlier books in this field, um, one of the first books that I read, it was actually called Somatic Ecology by a guy called Robert Bettman. Um, when I was just learning about what on earth this term even meant, um, ecosomatic, somatic ecology kind of being interchangeable. Um, and one line in there just got me. And it was that we cannot heal our relationship with the earth, with the environment until we actually heal the separation that we have internally mm. from our body, which is our primary ecology. And what that means is I, we have to look at where I actually have that internal hierarchy, that internal separation between my mind and my body. I have to look at where my mind is the big daddy figure um, mm -hmm. internally that says, you can't, you can't do that or what you're feeling or your um, what you're feeling is wrong or what your intuition is showing you is wrong or your body isn't good enough. Where So where I have that separation internally, that hierarchical relationship where I'm prioritizing my mind, my productivity, my output, those kind of qualities over the natural intelligence of my body or the natural need to have rest and restorative, where am I avoiding that feminine part of my own cycle? Um, because that is what, that's, that's ultimately why it's happening outside of myself. And so until that internal reflective process is done, um, ecosomatics, this field says until that's done, really looked at, only then once that relationship's healed, when there's integration there, when there's a deep value for the embodied underworld journey or the, like I just call it underworld journey, but ultimately um, underworld doesn't necessarily have to mean going down into the dark, dark stuff. Mm. It literally just means coming down into, in, like into our embodied physical um, nature, coming down as opposed to um, rising up, which is up in our mind or up in our like higher consciousness, which is out of body. Mm. It's actually just coming down and land the body. Um, and so until that's done, then pointing the finger outside and saying, well, you know, we shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing this or, you know, we need to detach ourselves from these external systems. A really powerful way to actually integrate that is, is well, probably I'd say the reason why it's so triggering is because internally that, that healing hasn't happened or mm -hmm. that relationship is still occurring. There's a hierarchical relationship between the mind and the body. Um, so, yeah, that's an uncomfortable one to look at. No, that's really interesting and something that it makes a lot of sense just with some of the personal work that I've been doing lately where I'm fostering more communication of intuition, body with higher self, but struggling mm. with this, this mind aspect. What, mm. what, are some, what are some tips? <laughs> like what, what would a process look like for working through something like that? Yeah. So one thing I would just premise by saying is whenever there's a, there's a decision made to start deepening into embodied wisdom, to start build or rebuilding or healing a relationship with your body mm. and actually start trusting that as a, as a, as a guide for your life, um, 
when I've worked with some of the women up in Mirwong country, which is up in the Kimberley region in Australia, um, they talk about the principle of your binge, which is, they call it your feeling center, which is just like underneath your belly button, but above your pound of pelvic bone. It's almost like around your womb space, really. Um, but they call it your binge, your feeling center. And in that cultural context, your binge was your guide through your life. Mm-hmm. Your mind wasn't the guide. She was like, oh, my, I'm feeling this is right. Or if there was a decision to be made in the community, they would literally ask, how's your binge feeling? Like I cried one time when uh, Edna, which is one of the el- elders, um, Aunty Edna said to me, how do people do what they do in the world? Like with, you know, she was talking about environmental issues. Like, don't they feel that in their binge? And yeah, I know it was beautiful. And um, so I'll say that. As you make the decision to start living from that embodied or that somatic guidance, what will happen is the mind will start to kick and scream because it's so used to it being front and center as your primary identity. And this happens all the time when I run immersive programs. Um, I happens, I'm heading into one now and I leave a lot of space for women to contact me in the week prior calling and being like, I don't know if I've done the right thing. I think I need a site. I think I need to transfer to the next one. (laughs) And I know that this happens because when the mind knows its time is up in the way that it's been controlling you or let's say dominating you, Mm. that's actually inhibiting a big part of your soul expression, a big part of your true nature. when it knows its time is up, it will kick and scream and say every kind of convincing thing to stop you from doing that because it wants you to stay safe. It wants you to stay in the known. It wants you to stay in a way small because ultimately it's trying to protect you. And as we know, safety is an illusion anyway. There is no like, And so it's trying to protect you against things that might happen, but ultimately it's kind of like a hypochondriac. Mm. So I will say one of the most powerful things that you can do during the, during that experience where I've had, I've had personally in my own journey, my mind says, I just want to die. I, I don't want to, like, I just want to die almost. I'd rather die than feel this mm. or I run want to run away or I just want to give it all up or I'm too overwhelmed. And there's all this chatter, mind chatter. And one of the most powerful things that I've done is just completely not identify with it and allow it to be there. And as if, as if I'm talking to another human being, I would say, I, like, I hear you and I'm allowing you to have your tantrum right now. And that's not my truth. And it takes in one separating oneself from it to like de-identifying from it, not rejecting because that's, that's also going to like shove it under the rug, but in allowing, allowing that part of me to have my tantrum, allowing the mind to feel that it's significant or to have something like the mind wants to be significant. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. it wants to have this final say. And so sometimes I'll write things down because it's like in my mind. And then sometimes, just like a little tantruming child, sometimes I've actually said to myself as I'm driving the car, stop it, stop it, done, no more. And it goes silent. 
Um, and so that would, that's one part is a part, like the one part of, um, of that embodiment process is actually to disidentify or de-identify from the mind as you de-identify from all that chatter as you and just recognize it's a part of you and it's not the boss it is a part of you and that can have space within the ecology of me but is not the boss because it makes a really crap boss <laughs> agreed it's like putting it's like putting a three-year-old in charge of everything yeah um and then actually doing some of these really deep nervous system um, processes that I teach in the work that I do um, around like lots of them around um, breath work, somatic breath work. Mm -hmm. um, there's practices that I teach that are very ancestral practices around um, like tracking the way that trackers walk and wide angle vision and some of these very embodied practices that support people to relax the nervous system to get into that um, communication space with their binge, with that feeling center, with that embodied knowing, mm. and also let go of the need to know. That's the big thing that I would say is that the mind has this obsession with needing to know, what do I do? Tell me the steps. Tell me the practices. How do I do that? Like the mind is like, okay, give me the formula. Yeah, do it. Then I don't. <laughs> Whereas... Um, the, the, the getting into that body wisdom is doing all the practices to support the body and nurture the body and nourish the nervous system. And then trusting that the wisdom will unfold like in the, in its mysterious way without you needing to know or control the process. I call like, this is the ultimate rewilding. It's like letting go of that mental need to know and actually allowing the mystery of the earth, which is your body, the mystery of the universe, to rise up and through you and work in a way that is far beyond what our mind, what our very limited mind could conceive. And, you know, when we talk about, when people do shamanic healings and remote healings and they talk about, oh, my God, the cancer just disappeared. Yeah. Like that shit can't be explained in a five-step formula that can be like, all right, <laughs> give me the five-step. Yep. Like how you... Okay, so in order to heal the cancer, like what was step one? Like, and the shaman's there like deeply in their body, deeply in the mystery being like, I can't fucking do that for you, you know? I, it's, it's, it's just an embodied process. It's just the mystery that comes from being in your body. It's mm. just the mystery of how nature works. And it's, oh man, it, it's a hard paradigm to, to step into, but that's the things that I would say mm. um, about I mean, I, I think everything that you just described is absolutely perfect. And I say that because it, like, it's such a good reminder for myself right now, going through another one of my underworld <laughs> processes right now. And I do notice this, the mind, like wanting to know, needing to know what's the next step, what's the next step. And this is something that I struggle with as a Pisces moon. <laughs> it's just like what. I do naturally. Yeah. So it is my work in this lifetime to deal with that energy. Um, but once I manage to let go and I need kind of like, you know, a quote unquote slap upside of the head every once in a while from one of my, you know, mentors to be like, hey, 
you're way too much in your head right now. Like, just let it go. You know, this process that you're going through right now, your soul purposely designed it this way. And, you know, you you may mm. not know what the next step is, but like, you have to learn to be comfortable in that and just let go. Like, look, you're in such a perfect opportunity right now. Yes, a bunch of things have changed in your life, but, you know, you're lucky to be supported in these other ways where you can actually just rest right now for like the first time in your life or for a very long time, you know? And so just do that. You don't need to know. You don't need to know all of the things all of the time. And yeah, the mind certainly does kick up and have a tantrum during that process. But that practice of just letting go and it and it's crazy like things are now starting to just like magically pop in and 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 I knew they would like I had that trust but it really mm -hmm. is that process of just never mind it's not your business right now there's a bigger plan at play you know like, I love that it's not your business I, yeah. I, 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 your business. I love that you shared that because part of um like the second part of my research aside from the whales component is this is this framework called the earth framework and mm -hmm. acronym so each like stands for a different part of the process but really bringing this like concept of ecosomatics into a grounded practice um and it's my my best attempt at actually translating the mystery into a framework into a formula in a way to like to bridge that gap and there's one of those letters, um, it's just the second E, it's called, it stands for emergence. Mm. And before it is H, which stands for transmute and harvest. And it really that, that part of the process is really the, the downward pull. It's the transmute, mm. it's the unraveling, it's the potential emotional cathart part of the process or the, the invitation down into the underworld, into the void. And that unravening of the decomposition process then creates the fertile soil. And one of the hardest things after that, even though the silence that often comes from that is beautiful and the space is the set is the next letter in the framework called emergence. And that is rather than pushing, forcing, figuring out, um, rather than the mind kind of getting in the way in that process is trusting that what is true for me, what is right, what is, you know, what's my soul truth in this moment, um, will emerge. Mm -hmm. It will naturally emerge just like how, you know, a plant in nature will decompose. Um, and it will have that pause moment between when it all decomposted and, there's things brewing underneath the surface. The seeds have been planted in there um, and everything's kind of churning over and there's this magical, um, this magical threshold that's about to be cross crossed. But if you fuck with it and try to like pour fertilizers because you're like, well, please don't grind. Nothing's happening. Yep. So, you know, you like, you kill it. We kill it with like concern and worry and the mind gets in the way rather than actually just allowing the natural process to unfold, that churning process will, will occur and the threshold crossing result in a beautiful little seed poking its head out of the soil and new life emerging. And that happens without any control from us. That's just nature's blueprint. And that's something that's been a huge inspiration. That whole framework came from really observing natural principles 
but it's hard for part of the phase, like the emergence part. It's like the weight. I have to trust. I have to have faith. Um, in, and allowing it to naturally fold is tricky. It's tricky. That's like one of the one of the points where um, it that that mind chatter will just pop in, man. It's like, yep. yep. And honestly, like even even with practice, like. I wouldn't say it gets any better. I mean, it does, right? Like this current phase that I'm going through right now, I feel like I'm navigating well, you know? I Hmm. haven't, I I did what I could in the beginning in order to save the thing that I thought that I was losing in, I think, the best way possible. But when I discovered that, nope, this needs to go, this is happening, I just let it go. And I knew that there was going to be an uncomfortable process and I was just like there to ride it out. And all you can do is just take care of yourself day by day. Emotions are going to be different, at, you know, depending on the day. And mm. what I'm really happy that I didn't do this time around because I feel like it is getting a little better every time I go through one of these processes is that I didn't try to fix or like obsessively reach out to try to like make other things happen and like panic and, um, you know, just, if you know, just allowing myself to kind of sink, you know, instead of like that mm. panicking that can create that drowning feeling, right? It's like, no, just going to cocoon down to the bottom into my little seed. And I'm just going to sit here and wait and I'm going to, you know, it's going to fester a little bit and there's like these uncomfortable things that are going to happen. My mind's going to get in the way and I get that, but I have support and I reach out to support when I need it and I get those reminders to like get the fuck out of your head, you know, just chill out. Everything's going to be okay. And then also when you go through the process enough times, you also realize that nothing lasts forever, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a hard time. It can be even a good time, which is why we want to savor all of the moments, but nothing stays the same. And it's, it, it's, it's always going to move. It's always going to move. And so that always brings me a little solace in those, those circumstances. Do you find that for yourself? Like now, do you, do you find that you're getting better at navigating these things? Like, have you gone to the point where you're just like, nope, you know, the mind doesn't even disturb you anymore or is it still a practice for you? I'm laughing because ahead of this immersion that I'm about to run and like, the, and I feel a very big chapter of my life is opening too. I just um, was in um, South Africa and it was, it was a completely, uh, not, not last minute, but I had 10 days. I found out I got offered a really amazing work experience, um, a work opportunity Mm. Um, that was a big game changer and they gave me 10 days notice and said, can you come? Here's your ticket. Oh my goodness. It was, um, without going into the full backstory, there was almost like a seven year history because I read a book about a guy growing up in South Africa that was really the catalyst for me starting much of this work that I do now. Um, and so it felt like the, the completion of like this seven year process almost I've been going in, Mm -hmm. um, and coming from that 
I, I touched a part of my soul. I touched something. It was like I had this very expansive experience um, that when I came back to Australia and kind of got in, in the flow of just how I was going about things, it didn't fit anymore. And it was really uncomfortable to see, oh, gosh, what I'm being asked to now let go of that I thought that I could hold on to for a while, <laughs> for a while longer. And thankfully, having gone through this process many times, there was a lot more surrender and there always mm -hmm. is a lot more surrender. And I give myself more than anything, um, I give myself a lot of compassion even when I don't surrender because it's kind of like how you would return to yoga and, um, and sometimes you know, you get there and you're like really flexible and you're doing all the things. And then someday, sometimes, even though like nothing's really changed, you're like, oh, I feel really tight today. And it's, it's a practice is the important yeah. thing. It's not about becoming a master and therefore never, never, ever letting the mind like screw you over or, or <laughs> it's actually a practice and being willing to constantly practice that. Yeah. And so yeah, when this experience happened in my personal life, I noticed, oh God, this is uncut like this is uncomfortable and there's things that are going to have to change. And now if I don't allow myself to surrender those things, now this now I'm at a point where um almost like the universe is like, Brit, you know better. And that dark feminine will like, well, I'm gonna come and take it from you if you don't yep. action this as swiftly as it needs to be. <laughs> And I can see that now. Um, and there's, so yeah, there's, I, I would say I've got a lot better at the surrender to the point where ahead of this women's immersion that I'm about to run, I know that it's going to be incredibly, incredibly powerful journey because of the physical preparation that's been happening in my body. Um, I never, ever get sick, like stomach bugs and stuff like that. And I went and like, I do survival experiences all the time and never mm. get sick. Like you would think I would have parasites or anything like that. I spent a lot of years traveling to my work was in India and Nepal and Vietnam and all things. So I built a lot of resilience and, um, and I ended up getting this, um, stomach on top of like a few other life experiences. The final thread was I was holding a lot of grief of knowing what I had to let go of mm. when I came back from Australia came back to Australia, but not wanting to. Um, and instead of just allow, like allowing myself the space to go, all right, I'm letting it all go. It was almost taken from me in that I remember being in my tent camping when I was up in Arnhem Land recently. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I had foot, like, sorry to listeners, but I had diarrhea and vomiting. And I, I got outside and I went outside and I wasn't having that whole, when you're sick and you're kind of victimized by being sick, I'm going, oh, I feel terrible. It was happening and I've gone, well, this kind of had to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Well, now with the process, like my body needed to let go of this somehow and like let go of the, like be with the grief and be with the letting go. And if I'm not actioning that in a, in a practical way, then it's going to be my body's going to let go in a way that is beyond my control. I would say I've got a lot better at surrendering. And if I was to recommend anything to other people, it would be to allow it because mm -hmm. they're fighting it. Mm -hmm. Like I've got one in my life at the moment in, in relationship side of things where um, I feel like I'm fighting 
fighting mm. the truth of what I feel, fighting the truth of what my body's communicating with me. It's actually got nothing to do with my mind. My mind really wants to like, what, what do you mean? What's wrong? What we, what, can, we, can we figure this out? Um, but my mind is actually having visceral reactions. My mind's, sorry, my body, my body is having visceral reactions and very somatic responses that I can't deny. And therefore I just have to allow. And that's coming again, back to the piece of sometimes when I am, when I'm in my deep embodied way of being in the world, sometimes it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Sometimes have to allow things to occur because there's again a greater wisdom that's operating through me and I've just got better at trusting that because I got better and better at seeing that this is I am the earth I am nature not in a lofty kind of conceptual way like I am physically the water that's going into my body the food that I'm eating like I am nature and therefore the the wider intelligence of the earth the magic and mysteries of the whole world are operating through me. And if my body is, is communicating or responding a particular way, then there's a genius to that. Mm-hmm. And am I going to be the arrogant person that says, well, I fucking know better. And my mind's like, what do you mean? I've got to figure this out. I, I've got all the steps. Like mm-hmm. I've got all the things that we could do instead of trusting that you're not the, you're not the smartest, smartest person in the room here. Um, I've got much better at, at surrendering to that, surrendering to that and just going, okay, I'm, yeah. not, the, I'm not the smartest. <laughs> okay. You have, right. Whatever. Have your way with me. Have your way with me. And I'm willing, I'm willing to trust the, because ultimately nature never destroys itself, like or causes harm to itself. It's mm-hmm. all, always action things in pursuit of its own well-being, in pursuit mm-hmm. of its own health. And so if I trust to that intelligent force, it's never going to destroy my life just for the fun of it. It's always actually moving me towards a much healthier, abundant life, even if in the moment my mind thinks it's taking everything away. I think that's like the biggest mic drop of this whole conversation. (laughs) I love that. Oh, yeah. That's so true. I mean, well, you see those memes, right? Like, oh, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. But I love the way that you compare it to nature and just how the natural cycles and rhythms work and regenerate. Mm -hmm. And and it's true. You know, it is. It is 100% true. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we're getting where we are at our time already. But like there's so much stuff we haven't talked about yet. Tell me really quickly more about like the bushcraft and like these incredible immersive programs that you're doing. Like what, what do those look like? Yeah. So um, part of my path in doing ecosomatics mm-hmm. isn't just the dance side of things, but just more broadly, what are embodied ways of engaging with the natural world that bring us into kind of um, a somatic relationship and that can, that's been for me, that's been skills like making fire with my bare hands, like actually building a relationship with fire through my body, um, eating wild foods. So I'm taking the, you know, vibration, the essence, the intelligence of wild foods and putting them into my body. And so all of those bushcraft skills 
I, um, the way that I share them is not from the kind of survival man versus wild principle of like, all right, we've got to learn the skills in case we need to, you know, survive the apocalypse <laughs> whilst I'm sure they're handy for that. But I teach them up more through the lens of deep connection and much more from the like, the, the just deep sense of well-being and rightness that comes like rightness, not as in like the mind's perception of wrong or right, like that deep just knowing of like, yes, this just feels right um, in our bodies that comes when we are in somatic relationship with the earth like that and how we all actually, we, how we feel looked after as opposed to having to fight for survive, to survive uh, and battle against nature in order to survive. So um, those the immersions that I run um, weave in those bushcraft skills taught through the lens of connection, taught through the lens of kind of building somatic relationship with, with the earth um, and all the work in eco-somatics where we do like embodiment practices, um, dance practices, all stuff, heaps of stuff around the nervous system where I'm kind of weaving in my academic research. Um, I also teach Wayapa on those immersions, which is a embodiment practice taught to me by um, Jamie Malu Thomas, who's the Pikurong Mara man that I'm working with on my research with the whales. So he taught me this practice oh. called Wayapa um, back and then sh- I can then share with other people. Um, and we t- weave in mythologies. There's lots of stories told mm-hmm. around the campfire that like stimulate dreaming and, and around the theme of what we're exploring that day. And so these immersions um, are an opportunity for people to experience um, really, to really come home to this kind of embodied way of engaging with place of everything that we've talked about. I run them um, twice a year. So this one I'm about to run in, t- uh, in a week's time is full, but I usually run them twice a year. And then we're expanding out with um, level two, so the following level, and then like mother-daughter programs, and it's all blossoming. Um, which is so beautiful to see mm. as more women have kind of become part of the village. So it's not just me anymore. It's women who have done this work and just feel so drawn to come back and contribute and be part of it. Um, and a, a big part of those programs too is teaching what I call the earthed framework. Um, and that's the, one of the big harvests out of my PhD, as I was mentioning, which is this, it, it underlies the whole immersion, which is a step-by-step framework Um to, to really guide us back into embodied relationship with our own soul, with our own primary ecology, our body, um, as well as the external ecology and how we can apply that in our own lives based on our own context. So that's the, that's the kind of lowdown on the bushcraft side of things and how I share them or my perspe- perspective on them um, and how they're woven into those ecosomatic immersions um, that run, uh, they're for women as well. So I just run them for women at this stage. I work with my, um, my partner in life and partner in business, um, who is Darvis Walker and he does this for men. They look very different. It's not all the ecosomatic stuff, but he takes me out to the wild. So I work with the women, he works with the men. Um, and quite naturally they're going to be reflective of the different ways often we engage with the, with the wild because of that. They go out there and they do their kind of hunting and pursuing yep. the things and totally and questing and facing challenge and we come and we're like nourishing with all the bush foods and singing yep. up and dancing and things. So yeah, they're pretty magic. Love it. You're making me want to book a flight to Australia now to come and 
join you. It sounds so beautiful. Yeah, well, it's great, wonderful that you say that because um, do keep posted because the thing that stirred since um before I did actually co um before COVID, I ran them in the Kimberley, different mm-hmm. versions of them. So not so much craft, but definitely the ecosomatic in the Kimberley, which is a region in Australia. Um, and next year we're looking at actually expanding to do one in South Africa. Um, and Ooh. they're going to the seed of the next chapter of this work is to actually take it on the road to different countries. Um, so one of them in South Africa, potentially one in Hawaii. Um, and so mm. that's the, that's the gravitation for it. Mm, I love it. Wonderful. Ah, oh, well, Britt, thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom with me and our audience here today. I, yeah, I, I feel like this was medicine for me, honestly. There was a bunch of lessons that I needed here. So thank you. Oh, and, and as well. And um, I love that you're kind of expanding again out the workout to be this rewilding humanity podcast. Mm. I think just such medicine for these times and very grateful for your courage to have these conversations and to broadcast them out to more people. It's just, it's a, it's a big part of your ecological role that you're playing and I'm grateful that you're doing it. Thank you. Yeah, I know everything in me is just, you know, I, I love wild crafting and I love sharing my love of nature with my community and the people around me. And I'm just, I'm feeling so called to get to the land, to be on the land. So that's kind of the next step and would love to have a retreat center. That's kind of the, the, the next vision for me where we can facilitate work like yours, which would be so incredible. So maybe one day you'll be doing retreats here in Canada. <laughs> Uh, I actually lived in Canada for a little while and again it stole my heart. It kicked me out because my reviews are ended, but I'll I would love to come back. Anytime. Well, hopefully I'll have some place amazing for you to come and visit soon. I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, so how can people connect with you if they, they want to learn more? Yeah. The best way is um on Instagram, I would say. So at Brittany Laidlaw, Brittany Laid, Jane Laidlaw, God, can't even get my own Instagram, at Brittany Jane Laidlaw, um, my Instagram handle, which is my full name. And that is where I put a lot more of the ecosomatics, women's kind of centric work, um, just my own flavor. And then nature culture is the kind of collaboration between me and my partner, but also it's growing to be a bit of a collective hub of people doing programs and offerings that essentially merge nature and culture or re remarry nature and culture. And so at natureculture.co is the Instagram for that. Um, they're probably the best ways to contact me. I'm in, um, in development for my own website, which will again be my full name, um, brittanyjanelaidlaw.com. And that, that will be a place where you can access all of the women's kind of offerings as well as other things, links to exactly this podcast, no doubt. And uh, I would say that's the best way. Otherwise, via email, if you want to reach out and have actually a direct conversation. Um, but Instagram's my best form of um, connection. I'm, always, I'm on there as opposed to other things. Um, mm. We also have a YouTube site. Um, Nature Culture is on YouTube. Um, if you want to watch some more like extended videos where I've given deeper reflections on these concepts like the animus or the earth framework. Um, and we're in development of it as well which is a nature culture app 
mm. um, which will all be found through, again, it'll all be put on Instagram. So that's probably the best place to connect, to find all the links, all the things. Amazing. Well, and we'll make sure to include all of those links in the show notes. Well, thank you again. This was such a wonderful conversation. I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so exciting. And um, for everybody listening, make sure you connect with Britt and make sure you share this episode with someone that you think will love it. And we'll catch you all on the next episode. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Big love as always for being here today. I appreciate you so much supporting this project. Here's to truth, unity, the mystical, and the magical. If you want to connect more, hit me up on the gram at magic, M-A-G-I-C-K dot maven. I'm a lover and maker of herbal potions, beautiful environments, brands, adventures, and wild crafts. So if that's something that lights you up, I am always up to some wacky adventure and would love to connect with you there. If you feel called to share this episode, please do. This is a passion project. I'm not doing any sponsorship at this time, so it would mean the world. Thanks again and see you on the next episode.